Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Stephen Robles kicks off our FAQ series with a message titled, What is the Trinity? We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. We're so glad you joined us today. We're so glad you're here as well at the Crossing Church. Isn't it good to see our lead pastor here on the platform? Would you show him your appreciation? And Pastor Tamara, we love you guys. So good to see you. We'll have the honor today to start a new series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. But before I jump into the topic, I wanted to show you an image I saw on the internet. This is free. You don't have to pay extra for this. I just wanted to show it to you. That's a joke. It's okay to laugh. Um, This is an image I saw online by a man named Chris Harrison, and it's a visualization of the Bible. He put every book of the Bible down here. Each line is a chapter. That long line is Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And these colorful lines on top are actually all the cross-references where the Bible refers to itself, where Bible verses refer to Old Testament, to New Testament, and back and forth. And I just thought this was an incredible picture of the Word of God. The Bible is unique because it was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, 66 books, and it just shows the unity and completeness in the Word of God. And I just thought that was so cool. And I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more about the Bible and deepen your walk with Christ, we actually have a Bible college here at the Crossing Church. Classes start next week, and it is not too late to apply. So if anybody in the Bible college, can you give a shout out? If you're a student, Bible college, it's an awesome experience. So I encourage you to check it out. So to be honest, as I was preparing the topic for today, it was, it was one of the most difficult as I was researching and wrestling how to present this. It felt a little bit like I was trying to solve the Ryman hypothesis. Does anybody know what the Ryman hypothesis is? So many blank looks. It's okay. I didn't know either. <clears throat> this is the Ryman hypothesis, and it is actually one of the seven millennium math problems because it is unsolved. This is one of the seven problems in mathematics that are unsolved, even by the most brilliant minds today. And there is actually a prize. If you solve this equation, there is a million-dollar prize from the millennium math. When I told my kids about this, they became very motivated to study their math. It lasted about 24 hours, and then they said, ah, we're not going to get it. (laughs) But I thought it was so interesting because... There's these unsolved problems in math, problems that even the most brilliant minds don't understand, don't have an answer for, but it's not like we throw out all of mathematics. We don't dismiss everything we learn in math because there's a few unsolved or ununderstood subjects. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to jump into the topic for today. And the question that I hope to answer, one of the frequently asked questions of Christianity is this, what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? Now, that topic alone might feel like getting an essay prompt in college, like define God and give three examples. But we're going to do our best to dive into this and see if we can understand it just a little more to get a glimpse of the nature and character of God. And I want to encourage you as we dive into it, even if you don't leave today with any better understanding or you don't feel confident you understand the Trinity, it's okay. Just like in math, we don't throw out the entire subject because of a few unsolved problems. You don't have to dismiss the entirety of Christianity because you don't understand a few things. And so I just want to encourage you with that today. And so let's pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your word. And God, I just ask that you take over. I pray that you show us your nature and your character in what we learn today. 
Be with those who are hurting, those who are suffering, dear God. And I just pray that you comfort everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the most basic terms, the Trinity is a doctrine of Christianity that describes God as three in one and one in three. That there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they are one God with three persons. Now you may think to yourself, I can't solve the Ryman hypothesis, but I know I can count to three, and one doesn't equal three. So how does this work? And this is actually a challenge against Christianity, against Islam, because Islam says that we are polytheistic, that we worship multiple gods because of the Trinity. But I want to encourage you, that's actually not the case. We have to understand it better to be able to tease out this meaning. And also some people ask, because the Trinity is not found in the Bible, the word Trinity you don't see in the Bible. But this is not the only doctrine that we don't see a specific word for it. There's lots of other words not in the Bible. Words like incarnation, which is the word that describes Jesus is God made flesh. John chapter one, verse one describes this. The word atheism is not in the Bible, but the Bible still has verses that talks about people who don't believe in God. And ironically, the word Bible is not in the Bible. (laughs) But we see the word scripture used many times in the word of God in the scripture. So just because Trinity, the actual word is never mentioned, we do see many, many examples, many verses that talk and describe the Trinity. So let's look at just a few. Here are the Trinity found in scriptures. Here's the Trinity found in the scriptures. First of all, Jesus himself in the Great Commission at the end of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before he ascends to heaven, he actually names all three. I'll read the example from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we have Jesus himself referring to the three persons of the Trinity. Then the writer of Acts, which is Luke, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him, talking about Jesus. So again, we have these verses that show a distinction between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think probably the clearest example of the Trinity as three distinct persons is in the baptism of Jesus Christ. In all of the Gospels, there's an account of Jesus Christ being baptized in the Jordan River, and it shows all three persons of the Trinity. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 is one of the accounts, and it says this, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descended to him, saying, meaning Jesus Christ, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, I take delight in you. And as we read these verses, keep in mind the reference of you and my, I, my Son. And so in the baptism of Jesus, we have all three, Jesus Christ being baptized in water, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the voice of God the Father. Believe it or not, a picture was actually taken during Jesus' baptism, and it survives today. You might have seen this. Just kidding. No, we don't have a picture of that, but we, we do have is the Jordan River in Israel. 
And when the crossing took a group to the Holy Land, Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara were there. We actually visited the Jordan River. Here's a picture of it. And you can actually get baptized in the Jordan River. And this is where Jesus Christ was water baptized. And I actually had the privilege of being rebaptized there as well. This is me, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara. And it was an awesome experience. If you ever get a chance, I encourage you to do it. And so the baptism of Jesus, we see all three persons of the Trinity. Okay, so we have three. But does the Bible say that they are also one? Does the Bible call them one God? Well, first of all, let's look at Genesis 1.26, probably the first reference of all three. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So from the very first chapter of the Bible, we have God referring to himself as our, that there is more than just one. So we have the three, and now let's look at one. So not only do we have three persons, but God is one. Many verses also reference this. In like Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Mark 12, 29, this is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord, God the Lord is one. In John 10, 30, Jesus himself says, The Father and I are one. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself human. So you might be getting a little confused. Okay, the Bible says one, 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 and the Bible also says three, three, three. How do we reconcile this? It might feel a little bit like the Abbott and Costello routine, who's on first? No one under 40 years old have any idea what I just said. Abbott and Costello had this routine called who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third, right? My father had a cassette tape of the routine. We would listen to it all the time. But it almost feels like that. Are we saying one? Are we saying three? And now at this point, I want to stress that language and words are important. We have to be precise in our words and precise in our language as we describe the Trinity. Because the Trinity is one in some ways and three in other ways. Now, that might sound confusing, but we understand this even in our English language. The opening to the Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities, starts like this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That seems like a contradiction, but we understand that things could be the best in some ways and the worst in others. Let's say you go to Disney World with your family and you have multiple kids, and we all know what a day like that is like. And if someone asks you, how was your day at Disney? You might say, well, it was a good day but it was a tough day. It might be a good day because you had fun with your family, you saw the sights, you rode some rides, but as we know, kids melt down, ice cream falls over, so on and so forth. Also, Florida heat, let's be real. So even in a day at Disney World, it might be a great day and it might be a tough day. It depends on how we are talking about the day. One more example, imagine you're on your way to work and you get a flat tire. And on your way, even after that, you spill coffee on your clothes, you run late for a big meeting. Not a good start to a day. But say at the end of the day, your boss calls you in the office and he says, you're actually getting a big promotion. We're going to promote you and give you a raise. Congratulations. If someone asked how your day went, you might say, well, it was a tough day, but it was a great day. And so we understand depending on how we're talking about things, depending on what words we're using, it might mean different things. And so as we talk about the Trinity today and as we describe it, I want to be precise in language, and we're going to start by saying this. God is one being 
or one essence and three persons. One being, God, and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, there's been many attempts to describe or break down what that could possibly mean. And honestly, I found one of the best examples is actually we as human beings. You see, we're created in the image of God. Genesis 1:27. God said, as we read, we created man in our image. And so as we talk about and examine ourselves, we actually have three parts. We have our body, the part that we see, the sight, hearing, taste, feel, and touch. But then we also have our mind, our will, and our emotions, our thoughts. But even those are not really who we are. Even that is one level deeper, and we would call that our spirit. This is why the Bible actually tells us in Romans 12, 1, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because when we ask the Holy Spirit to join us, we can overcome the thoughts that we struggle with in our mind, and even the thoughts that affect our body. And now some of you may think, this is where I can't decide where to go eat at a restaurant. I can't make up my mind. I want to give a tip here to all the husbands and men. Ladies, I need you to ignore what I say in the next 30 seconds. Because we all know what happens when you ask, where do you want to go eat, right? So instead, listen listen closely. Rather than ask where you want to go eat, say, honey, guess what we're doing? We're going out to eat. Guess where we're going? And the first place your wife or girlfriend says, you say, that's exactly right. That's where we're going. (laughs) You guessed it. Now, ladies, in order for that to work, you all have to forget what I just said. So I'll trust you to do that. But if you go back to that diagram, this is actually important to understand, especially when we talk about feelings of anxiety or depression or stress. Because a lot of times we identify so closely with those feelings, they feel like they're a part of us. But I want to encourage you, you are not a slave to those things. You are not a slave to anxiety and depression. Those things live in your mind and in your emotions, but they are not you. They are separate. And that is why with the power of God, when he comes into your spirit, you can overcome those feelings with help and with counseling, and you can change your thought process and transform your mind with the power of God. Amen? There's been so much research in this area by a woman named Dr. Caroline Leaf. If you've never heard of her, I encourage you to check her out. She's a Christian neuroscientist, and she works with brain injury victims and people who have experienced such injuries that doctors say they can't return to normal cognitive function. But because she understands that we are not our brains and we're not even our thoughts, that there's something deeper, she works with them, and so many of her patients actually become more cognitively able after the injury than before because you are not your body. If you lose use of your hands or your legs, you are still you. And even if you struggle with feelings, those feelings aren't you. There is something deeper. It is who you are. It is your essence. It is your being. It is your identity found in Christ. So in that same way, as we think about the Trinity, the Trinity is one in being, three in person, one in essence, three in substance. To tease it out even further, they are equal in power, love, mercy, justice, holiness, and other qualities. The Trinity is the same in those ways, but they are different in role, in task, and in substance. An example would be Jesus Christ died on the cross. There needed to be a physical manifestation of God to physically die. That was something that Jesus Christ in his role had to accomplish. 
So we see that they are one. The Bible talks about three. But does the Bible speak of them individually as three individual persons? Let's see. God the Father as the first person of the Trinity. We see over and over again there is a clear distinction from even Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Like in Philippians 1-2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Galatians chapter four, we see God acting independently with his son and the Holy Spirit. Galatians four says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so we see God the Father sending Jesus and sending the spirit. Even in one of the most poignant times when we see the separation is Matthew 26, 39, as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane praying before he faces the cross, it says, going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now this might trip some people up saying, is there a different will? Did Jesus want, not want to, but God wanted to? I believe this is an example of the kind of relationship Jesus the Son and God the Father had, where Jesus could be so raw in his emotions, so raw in what he was feeling to say, I don't know if I can do this, that he can pray that to his Father in safety and in unity. So we have God the Father, and then we have God the Son. I've spoken many times about how Jesus claimed to be God. He forgave sins. He claimed he could be judgment over people's eternity. But let's look at specific verses of Jesus Christ as God. Titus 2.13 says this, while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This verse saying Jesus Christ is God. Colossians 2.9 says this, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The fullness of God's essence, his nature, dwells in Jesus Christ. Romans 9.5 says the ancestors are theirs and from them by physical descent came the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is God over all. And finally, again, I love these verses in John chapter one, verses one through three. It says, in the beginning was the word. And that word, word in the Greek is logos. Logos meaning the embodiment or the essence of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. How beautiful is that? He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And watch this, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son, Jesus Christ, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So over and over again, we see Jesus Christ as the son who is God and the son. And now finally, the third person, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in some churches like I did, a little Pentecostal, they would say the Holy Ghost. And you immediately get images of Casper, the friendly ghost. And you say, I don't understand this. But a lot of times we have the feeling that the Holy Spirit is some apparition or some figment of God's imagination. But that's not how the Bible describes him. If we go to the scriptures, we will see that the Holy Spirit is also a person, one with emotions and a will, individual to himself. 
You see in Acts chapter eight, verse 15 and 16, it says this. After the disciples went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So he's saying he, the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven and eight says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit in this verse even has his own voice as the Holy Spirit says. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, but one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And so we see the Holy Spirit has a will. And this verse, I love this, 1 Corinthians 2.10. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He has emotion. And again, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, from the very beginning, It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So it's very clear. We have the Trinity as one, the Trinity as three persons. And if we use our precise language, God is three in person, but one in essence, one in essence, I think the most beautiful part of the Trinity is that we as human beings have long sought the thing that would bring unity in diversity. The ancient Greeks sought the quintessential element. What is that thing that holds everything together? What is that one thing that explains everything we see in the universe? Even scientists today, they are searching for the theory of everything. The one thing that can explain all of physics and chemistry and biology. I think it's ironic. All they had to do was look at Colossians 1.17, where it says, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. But it was this forever quest to find unity in diversity. This is where we get our word university, where we go study for higher education. We're looking for unity in diversity. And even on our money, it says, e pluribus unum, which is Latin for out of the many, one. Out of the many, one. You see, the Trinity is the example of perfect communion, perfect relationship, perfect submission, perfect love, complete in the essence of God. There is one answer for the ultimate expression of unity and diversity. That's the picture of community that God has given us in the Trinity. As we search for community in this life, we search for connection, for that perfect harmony with those around us, God has given us the picture in the Trinity of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love this verse in John 17, where again, I think it describes it so eloquently. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence and watch this, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed the glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world existed. 
You see, Christian apologist and philosopher, Dr. William Lane Craig, he explains that God is perfect in all ways. And to be morally perfect, you must be perfect in love because love is the highest moral. 1 John 4.16 says God is love. But in order to have love and give love, there needs to be someone to give it to. And so before creation, before anyone existed, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit existed in unity, perfect relationship together so that perfect love could be expressed between the three persons of the Trinity. And now today we can experience as children of God. Now I know that's still not a great way to hold on to what is the Trinity. And so I'm gonna try one illustration and maybe will help us understand how three can be one and one and three. I think the best example is actually found in music. And if you're not a musician, it's okay, let me try and explain. In music, we have things that are called chords. Chords are three notes and they sound together. And so Michael's gonna help me here on keyboard. Go ahead and play that chord all together. And so every chord in music is made up of three notes. You have the root, one note. We could say that's God the Father. That one note is music all by itself, complete and whole, all alone. But then you add the second note, which is Jesus Christ, the Son. And the third note being the Holy Spirit. Each individual, each whole on its own. And when you put it together, you have a chord. All three sounding together in perfect unity, perfect harmony. And you see, if you change any of those three notes, you don't have that chord anymore. But together, you have perfect love, perfect unity, the perfect example of the Trinity. Amen? So what does that mean for us today? Some of you may be wondering, well, that's all well and good, but how does that relate to me? You see, we can understand that that perfect unity was separated for a moment in the first century when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth with a mission. And he said, for a moment, I will give my life because that is what it will take for the forgiveness of sins for all of humanity. And even on the cross, Jesus looked up and said, why have you forsaken me? But it was because in that moment, the entire weight of the sin of every person throughout history fell on him. And for the first time ever, he felt a separation from the Father. But thank God that separation was only for three days. Because on the third day after Jesus Christ was laid in the tomb, he rose again. And as it says in the scriptures, he returned to that glory that he and the Father had since the beginning of time. And today, that sacrifice means you can have that same relationship with Jesus Christ. It means that that sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross was so that you don't have to be separated with a wall of sin anymore, but that you could have complete access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all it takes is to say, I receive your forgiveness and I wanna follow you. And so we're gonna do that actually right now. If you would bow your head and close your eyes. We're gonna pray a simple prayer. We're all gonna pray it together. And if that's you today, you're saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. You're gonna pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart as you give your life to Jesus. So everyone says together, dear Jesus, 
forgive me. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again. And I want you in my life. I want to follow you. Change me. Make me new. And teach me to follow you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. If you would like more information about The Crossing Church, you can visit wearecrossing.com or download the Crossing Church app by searching for Crossing Church Tampa in your app store. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com crossingchurch to watch messages on demand, our live broadcasts, and more. Thanks for joining us this week. We can't wait to worship you at noon prayer at our Tampa campus every Wednesday and for our weekend services.